Hey, welcome back to Salty Saints Podcast. We are still working our way through the Apostles' Creed uh, as our framework for what we believe and why we believe it. And so we've been talking about God the Father, but today we're going to be talking about Jesus. And I am here with Randy Spate. What's up, Randy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Zach. Excellent. Uh, Randy, you want to bring that mic just a little bit closer? Yeah, I heard that too. Excellent. Or I didn't hear it. That's the problem. <laughs> um, all right. So getting started with Jesus, um, we we kind of talked about what we wanted to touch on for, you know, who is Jesus? And uh, what, what do you think the most logical starting point here is, Randy? Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago uh, around Christmas time, we did a whole podcast on the Incarnation. And that's because we've talked about it. That's probably a good place to start. Uh, Jesus is man. Right. Right. Fully. Well, <laughs> I won't say that yet. But, yeah, he's man. He is man. Um, well, I guess if we're talking about incarnation, I can go ahead and say it. Fully God and fully man. Yeah, and that's the that's the confusing thing. That was what was so hard to get their heads wrapped around. I think, though, the more you start to break down just the character of God, that's just sort of something you're going to have to accept is that there's going to be a whole lot of not fully understanding things going on here. Oh, my goodness, and especially this. Um, here we're getting at the character of God. Of course, whenever we talk about God, we're talking about God in three persons. At least that's the way we say it, and it's interesting. The word person is singular. Uh, the plural of person is people. people. Yeah. But when it comes to God, we don't talk about three people because they're not distinct. They are three persons. They are three uh, uh, words fail us, and that's why we start doing all sorts of strange right. things when we come to talk about it. There is uh, just you know while we're while we're here talking about that, um, there's a really good visual representation, and I, I think they do a good job of of trying to hash it out the best they can. Uh, in the Bible Project, they do a YouTube video on God and the Trinity, and it's really interesting. And they, they do a good job kind of framing it, but, like, yeah, at the end you're still going, this is, this is still huge. Like, <laughs> and it, and, it's, and it's, it is misunderstood. It's poorly understood. Nobody really seems to have a full grasp on what it is for literally for centuries uh, the church tried to hash this out. Uh, even even uh, the authors of the Bible, even uh, Paul in the New Testament, you can tell that he is stretching when he tries to describe this because you get the sense that he kind of knows what he's talking about here, but, man, how do you express it? Right. So you have Jesus being fully man. We've actually done this on multiple occasions. We did the incarnation we also did a podcast on theophanies, right. where God appears in the Old Testament. And our conclusion of that was when there is a physical representation of God walking around in human form, that's the second person of the Trinity, right. who in the New Testament we call Jesus. Right. And in the Old Testament, um, yeah, he, he appears not in human form necessarily, but as the angel of the Lord. Well, and... I think it is human form. But I mean, is it truly flesh and blood at that point is my question. Because then that kind of takes away from the like importance of what happened in Jesus, I feel like. Maybe I'm wrong there. I don't know. 
I don't know. You know, I, I've I've never really dug down into that, but it appears to me that when the angel of the Lord stands before Joshua with a sword in his hand, Joshua looks at him, and his question isn't, "What are you?" It's, "Who are you? Are you the enemy? Are you with us, or are you against us?" There was no question in Joshua's mind that this was a human form standing in front of him. It wasn't, are you divine or are you human? It was, are you friend or are you foe? Well, to add to this kind of idea, there are lots of angels that appear to men. There are. And people think that they're men. That does happen, yeah. But were the angels truly men, or were they presented as such? Yeah, I'll give you that. You see what I'll I'm saying? I, I, I do. I, I do. don't know. I, I guess we just don't know. That's the... the... The reality, though, when we come to Jesus in the New Testament, when we come to the Incarnation, I mean, he is born. Right. Apostles' Creed, born of the Virgin Mary. Right. So He, he enters he, this he world the same way one we of do. Us. He enters the world the same way we do. And it's interesting, even after the resurrection, how many times Jesus makes a point of eating with his with his disciples, with his friends. He does it in the upper room. He does it on the beach before he ascends. He does it on the road to Emmaus. And they make a point of saying, he ate with us. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think there's a... There's a humanness about eating that... Yeah, we kind of just talked about that too, right? Like, Yeah, the, we did. That food, like the importance of food. The, so this is all all podcasts lead to this moment. <laughs> this is the converging moment. This is the converging moment. I hope moment not. This can't be our peak, man. We're at episode 31. That's, <laughs> that's really sad if that's the wow. case. <laughs> wow. Um, but Jesus is absolutely, completely... And fully human. Now, we talked about, when we did the incarnation, we talked about Philippians chapter 2. Made the statement there that Philippians chapter 2 is probably a hymn that predates Paul. And Paul is quoting it there. And in the middle of that hymn, uh, Paul talks about something that we've come to call the kenosis. And that's the Greek term that Paul uses when he said Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of all of his divine privilege, and he became completely human for us. Right. (laughs) While maintaining complete godhood, right? (laughs) Absolutely, and that's the thing that just blows you away every time. Um, First couple of centuries, uh, the church struggled with that. Most of the early heresies were Christological heresies. How do you reconcile Jesus being fully God and fully man? Some said, well, he wasn't fully God. He was fully man. He became God when the Spirit came on him, and then the Spirit left him just before he died. Some said he was fully God, but he wasn't fully man. Right. He was an image kind of floating around, and and he he... He, he kind of conveyed the idea of uh, being a man, but he, he wasn't really. He feigned death on the he cross. He feigned death on the cross. Sort of wore this skin suit, right? Right, right, like, right. Which, right. that's your Gnosticism, right? That's your... Yeah, Gnostics were a big part of that, right. right, right. Of course, they had to say that because they believed that 
the body was in, inherently evil. It's a prison. And of course, Jesus couldn't be evil. Right. Yeah. Uh, in Greek, soma sema, the body is a prison. Yeah. And uh, there was another um, heresy that said uh, Jesus was a different type of representation of God. He wasn't the same essence of God. He was of like essence. And that all came down to one letter in one word. Was it uh, homostasis or homeostasis? Was it was it uh, the same essence or was it a similar essence? Hmm. Yeah. And the church refuted all of those and said, no, no, no. Fully God, fully man. Who understands this? Nobody. But he was fully God, fully man. We accept it. <laughs> we accept it. Right. But, I mean, that's sort of just what you get when you worship an infinite God with a when you have a finite brain yourself. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's we, right. Yeah. We're just beyond comprehension at some point. The people that surrounded Jesus were even mystified and dumbfounded by this. The guy that probably has the fullest understanding, the best grasp on this, is the person that Jesus himself said he is the greatest of all men, and that's John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And his ministry was cut short when Herod uh, Archelaus killed him. Cut Uh, short, huh? Yeah. I I mean, just think of what he could have been if he would have lived like the other prophets. He could have... I was going to say it was a little punny. Oh, gee. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I see where you're going. It's poor choice of words, Randy. Oh, Zach. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but yeah, like th- that one always kind of struck me as weird, though, too, because um, you get so little of John. Oh, And then yeah. Jesus says he is the greatest man. He's the greatest person who's ever lived. That, uh, Whoa. Let's get, <laughs> let's get a little more of this guy. Like all we get is he wore fur and ate – Bees and, or locusts and honey. Yeah. It's like, wait, like that doesn't seem like the greatest man that. But ever even lived. just the little bit of preaching that he has, it's it's absolutely amazing. And and the way that he knew, I mean, Jesus comes to him, and it's it's from what we understand, this is a relative of his, probably a cousin, and Joseph and Mary. And Zechariah and Elizabeth probably vacationed together. You know, they had a summer home or I don't know. But they were probably together because both of their children were born in very miraculous circumstances. Mary spent um, three months with Elizabeth before John was born. And... We're led to believe, I mean, there's no reason not to believe that they didn't visit each other because, I mean, I would have. Right. I mean, wouldn't you want to keep up and be like, hey, you got any new miraculous signs? (laughs) What's John doing? He's doing this. What's Jesus doing? He's doing that. (laughs) Whoa. But when Jesus comes by, John says, it's the Lamb of God. And he looks at his disciples and basically says, you fools, why are you still following me? There's the guy you need to be following. Right. Only two of them take him up on it. Yeah, and then even when they do, it's like they don't they don't quite get it. 
Right. The disciples of John, John chapter uh, 3, they come back to John and say, hey, Jesus and his disciples are, this guy that you baptized, he's baptizing, and the people are starting to go to him. Go tell him to stop. (laughs) Right. And John kind of smacks his forehead and says, dolts, (laughs) you don't get it, do you? No, 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 no. He must increase. It's time for me to take a back seat. Yeah, I like that. So you have Jesus being completely, totally human. I, we, rightfully so, we we put Jesus on a pedestal so much that I think sometimes we just don't truly understand how truly human he was. But all through Scripture, we're told time and again, no, he was tr- he was one of us. He was human. It's really hard uh, for me to 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 just read Scripture sometimes and fully grasp it. Like you almost, there's a lot of connecting dots involved to fully put things together. And even more than that, like it helps me when I have a visual representation because Scripture so often is such a brief little glimpse into the story like it's just very um briefly noted a lot of the time like and then jesus did this and then all of a sudden they're over here and you're like wait what happened between here and there right (laughs) and so that's why i love shows like the chosen or like uh netflix did a verse by verse of each of the gospels but it's all got uh like a video going along with it of what's going on. Really interesting. Really cool, cool stuff. Neat, neat. Yeah, that, that thing of connecting the dots. You know, I've been I've been studying Scripture now for uh, 60 years. Uh, I've been preaching for 50 years. And I know a lot of Scripture. I mean, I've memorized not as much as I should have, but I know quite a bit, but the thing that blows me away is when I can connect the dots. This with that over there. And, oh, man, so that's what that's how they understood that. Then it just really kind of takes over. And, and literally it does still uh, from time to time. I get blown away by things that I've known for a long time, but I never connected the dots. And right. when I do connect the dots, oh, boy. Yeah, right. It takes, takes me to a whole deeper level of understanding. And I think we have to do that a little bit to fully grasp the humanness of Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I think it's a – what is it? Is it, is it um, in Islam – the story about Jesus, like, resurrecting the little boy or, or like, a bird or something? I don't... There are a series of Gospels. There's the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of of uh, Peter, the Gospel of uh, Jesus' infancy. Yeah. And it's full, it's chock full of all kind of stories of Jesus raising up a little boy. And one of the stories, uh, Jesus and this boy are... They're playing on top of the roof, and uh, the little boy falls off, and he dies. And the parents of the boy come up, look at him, look up at Jesus, still on the roof, and says, you pushed him off, you killed him. Jesus says, I didn't push him off. No, 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 you pushed him off, you killed him. 
I didn't push him off. No, 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 you pushed him off. Our son wouldn't have fallen. You pushed him off. Jesus, in the story, levitates down to the ground, looks down at the dead boy, reaches down, touches him, wakes him up. Did I push you off the roof? No, Lord, you didn't push me off the roof. (laughs) Like, and I get what they're trying to do there, but, like, I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus' childhood was probably just a regular, boring kid's childhood. I definitely believe. In fact, there is, and I'm not going to remember who it was, but one of the New Testament scholars argues that Jesus did not have a divine knowledge of his deity. He was told the story of his birth by his mother. He was taught by his father the teachings of the Old Testament. And through his study of scripture, he came to understand, I'm the son of God. Now, I don't know, you know, it could have happened that way. I mean, if he emptied himself of his of of part of his like godhood, or at least of the what made him equal to the Father while he was on Earth, um, yeah, maybe that memory went away. Because I think it'd be kind of hard to not be full of yourself if you knew you were the God of the universe walking around with these people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and yet, yeah, yeah, Jesus. I mean, Jesus and full of himself, those two things don't fit the same sentence. He was so incredibly humble. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. You you wonder, I mean, he learned the trade that his father had, which was basically a contractor. His father, he cut stone, he cut wood, he built things at a time when construction industry in all of Israel was booming. Herod was known for building. Um, Joseph lived miles away from Tiberias. And Herod Philippus um, built the city of Tiberias. Uh, he, he built it for the Jews to come and live in. He didn't do his homework, and he built it on top of an old cemetery. No Jew would come and live there, so he populated it with retired Roman soldiers. So Tiberius was almost all Roman. Hmm. But it was built by the Jews of the area. Joseph and probably Jesus had a hand in putting those buildings up. That's interesting. Um, I mean, what? so he's, he's totally human, but he's also God. He's also God. Now, this was the thing that was just so mind-blowing. Every good Jew, there is one verse that they recite four times a day. Is this the, my Lord said to my, or? No, 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 okay. it's Deuteronomy 6, 4. Uh, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. The Lord, your God, the Lord is one. Right. They said that four times a day. Said it when they got up in the morning. They said that at lunchtime. They said that. When they got home at the end of the day and they said that before they went to bed. God is one. God is one. So this is pounded into them. Now all of a sudden there's God and then there's Jesus and he's God too. Seems like you're saying God is two. Yeah, it does. And that obviously caused some confusion. It was problematic. Jesus does say 
to his disciples, I am God. But he doesn't do it very much. He doesn't do it publicly. And he does it in a way, he he kind of, first of all, he shows them. I mean, he raises the dead. He he heals the sick. He he performs miracles. He feeds 5,000 men with a little boy's lunch. And near the end of that time, he starts saying, now, you might be realizing that I am more than what I seem. (laughs) Maybe just maybe. Maybe, yeah. So they, they do come to realize, okay, he is God. It's even hard for them to come right out and say it. But they eventually do. Um... And it is always in the context of there's only one God. I, early on, they begin to realize that, okay, this is beyond the mind of a fisherman. Uh, th- this is beyond anyone's finite mind. He is truly God, and he is truly man at the same time. John, uh, the author, seems to be the one that got the best grasp of this, but he wrote around the end of the first century. Okay. So the Gospel of John, it's written probably in 80 or 90. Well, he's the one that starts out, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he just makes the blank statements. He's not trying to explain it. He's not going into the theological significance or or the the mystery of it he just says hey i saw him he's man he's god too hmm okay so it t- i mean it even took him a while it probably did. to to get the grasp on this um <clears throat> he's he's got decades of preaching and talking and reasoning and he and Paul probably hashed out some of this, and he and Peter probably hashed out some of this. And eventually John came to say, you know what? It is what it is. He's God and he's man. Do I understand it? No, no. But he's God and he's man. Right. Okay. I, I, it's almost – I don't know how deep we can even go on that because it, it's just one of those things – we have the scripture to, to, to say it. We have the firsthand witness accounts to agree with it. Um, but like you said, it's it's really just kind of beyond understanding. Paul, when he writes the letter of the Romans, this is the most theological of all of Paul's letters. This uh, All of his other letters... He's trying to address situations in the church that he wants them to take care of. But when he writes the Romans, he says, I'm writing you so that you understand my teaching. And he really lays it out in a very, very clear format. Personally, I think he actually had something that almost a, a Pauline theology textbook that he carried around with him. And he said, this is what I I believe this is what I teach. But in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, 
the good news, the gospel is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus, the Christ, our Lord. Now in those two verses, Paul mentions everything that we're going to hit on today in this podcast. But he starts by saying, fully human, he was born in his earthly line from King David's family. But he was also the son of God. He is also of one essence with God. And we see that because death couldn't hold him. Right. Right. And so he's our Lord. He's uh, the, I mean, the other one is Messiah, right? Yeah. We wanted he's to the touch Messiah. on that. He's the Lord. What can we say? I, I, I kind of said maybe we should start with Messiah rather than Lord because, you know, he's, he's our Lord because he's our Savior. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but – well, do we have any uh, any like cross references from Isaiah or um, any of the other messianic prophecies that we could quote off the top of our heads here? Yeah, there there are quite a few messianic prophecies, but before we get into that, we have to understand that the Messiah in the Old Testament is not a huge figure. No, the Messiah is not a key figure at all. In fact, Isaiah speaks very little about the Messiah. When we end up talking about messianic prophecies, it's us projecting back onto them the understanding gotcha. that this is messianic. I was going to say, because the, the term Messiah, does it even come up in it the does. Old Testament? It does. Okay. But what the Messiah is in the Old Testament, first of all, it is not at all clear that this is a divine figure. In fact, in the Old Testament, if we were just left with the Old Testament, the Messiah has one role, and that is to introduce the great and glorious day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord to the Jews would have been what? The end of times. Okay. That is when God comes to earth and sets up his reign. The Messiah is just the one who kind of introduces it. In the Old Testament and Jewish thought at the time of Jesus was that the Messiah was a human figure. Now, he was a great figure. He was a military figure. In the Old Testament, the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. And we get that more in places like Micah okay. and even a little bit in uh, Malachi. Zechariah talks about the Messiah. We can read messianic understanding into sections of Isaiah, but Isaiah talks more about the servant of the Lord. It's the servant who is the main figure of the second half of the book of Isaiah, who suffers. And contemporary Jewish theology at the time of Jesus did not equate the idea of the suffering servant of Isaiah with the Messiah. Right. They thought it was a different figure. Right, because there's nothing militant. There's nothing, uh, there's no hero kind no. of figure seen in the suffering servant. No, he comes and he bleeds and he dies. He's he's the uh, um, sort of the image of the, 
what is it the 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 poor artist that you know he that, paints all his pictures and he dies of starvation that's kind of their idea of what the suffering servant was but it's so hard for me not to tie these all together from my vantage point right and it's because of our vantage point we live after Jesus the Messiah right. came the first time we can look back and the image of Jesus the Messiah colors our image of our understanding of the Old Testament. But it's it's just so strange to me um, <clears throat> that, that one couldn't see the promise to the serpent in the garden ties together the suffering servant and the messianic-like ruler. You have, you have this, he's going to come and he's going to crush your head, but you're going to bite his heel. Right. And so, I mean, you've got this, oh, yeah, he's going to defeat you, but you're going to kill him. Right, right, right. right. How do you not see? (laughs) We look at that today and say, of course, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Right. That's where it all happened. And we're right. But that's not the way they saw it in the Old Testament because they were on the other side of the coming of the Messiah. Which shows why tradition is dangerous. You can't let your tradition come to a point where you just aren't willing to. To budge at all. You've got to be able to weigh it against something and say, is this the truth? Like, oh, man. Yeah, that's interesting. So it is interesting that Jesus does identify himself as the Messiah. Right. Now, we get that most clearly uh, when uh, in uh, three of the Gospels, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the middle of the Gospel, it is actually the watershed point in each one of the Gospels. Except Luke, that's actually a different spot. But in Matthew and Mark, it's the watershed point where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And the answer is consistent. Some say you're uh, uh, Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. It's actually the same answer. Malachi says that Elijah the prophet will be resurrected from the dead and will introduce the Messiah. Well, who did John the Baptist identify with? Elijah the prophet. He dressed like Elijah. He ate what Elijah ate. And uh, he, he was kind of the the uh, doppelganger of, of Elijah the prophet. And it was obvious in John's mind, John the Baptist's mind, what he was doing. He was presenting the Messiah. So Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they say, men say that you're the one who's going to come to tell us who the Messiah is. And Jesus then asked the million-dollar question, who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up for the whole group and says, we think you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes overboard, especially in the book of Matthew. Oh, you've been talking to God. Human uh, flesh and bones have not revealed this to you. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. On this rock I'll build my church. Hell's gates won't be able to stand up against your onslaught. And he goes on and on and on and on. And then, of course, he says, Now, understand the Messiah came to die and Peter pulls him aside and says, uh, no, 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 you got this wrong. Uh, You're the Messiah. I just told you you're the Messiah. That's not what the Messiah comes to do. And Jesus says, that's what I came to do. 
and calls Peter Satan. Right. <laughs> uh, says, you know, get out of my way. Uh, but the point is, Jesus identified himself as the Messiah, but just to the 12. He didn't make it a public announcement. That is what some people think Judas's betrayal was. It wasn't that Judas stopped thinking that Jesus was the Messiah. He was trying to force Jesus's hand to be a reveal himself as the Messiah to everybody. He thought he was doing Jesus a favor. And when he realized that Jesus was going to die on the cross, Judas went out and committed suicide. Hmm. I've never heard that perspective. That makes a lot of sense to me. Judas's betrayal was a betrayal of methodology, not a betrayal of concept. Judas still believed Jesus was the Messiah. He just didn't think he was moving fast enough. So it's it's the original sin all over again. He try, he tried I will let you know audience. what good and evil is. Just don't eat of that tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, Judas, I will show myself the Messiah, but in my time, not yours. And Judas says, that's not quick enough. <laughs> and then goes and hangs himself from that tree. <laughs> and then once Jesus is going to the cross, he commits suicide, hangs that's, himself. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Lord. The 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 uh, First John. Uh, uh, let let me do this here. First John chapter two, verse twenty two. John, when he's talking about the Antichrist, he's talking about the essence of the Antichrist is that he's a liar. So in First John two twenty two, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who says that Jesus is not the Messiah. Now, don't worry about the use of the word Christ there. Christ is the Greek word for the Messiah. It's the anointed one. So anytime Christ occurs, it is Jesus the Messiah. If you will look at the Gospels, when it talks about Jesus Christ, it's usually not the people surrounding him who are calling him that. It's the author of the Gospels who are calling him Jesus Christ. Now, you get it a little bit, and you get it a lot more in the book of John. Okay. Not totally consistent, but typically, when they talk about Jesus, they talk to him as Jesus. You have said this. Then the author says, and Jesus the Christ, or Jesus Christ, uh, went from there to this other village. and Because by the time the authors are writing, this is embedded. This is a title. Uh, uh, Christ is almost Jesus' last name. It's Jesus, the Messiah, that they're talking about. So Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is the Lord. Because he is the Messiah in part. Um, all of the Gospels, well, again, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very consistent in saying that Jesus' message is that the kingdom of God is near. And I think we talked about this. Maybe it was you and me talking about this, not on a podcast. But when 
we talk about kingdom today, mm-hmm. when we look up the word kingdom in a dictionary, the first meaning of the word, which is the majority meaning, that's what the word means normally, is a place. Right. So we talk about kingdom. The first question that we have is where? Right. That is not what a first century Jew thought. The word kingdom, and think about it, the word kingdom in uh, the first century, Herod was actually identified by the Roman Senate as king of the Jews. Was he in charge? No. (laughs) Did he own land? No, not really. The Roman government owned the land. They gave him authority to do some things. When the first century Jew thought about kingdom, when they heard Jesus say the kingdom of God is here, they didn't think of a place. They thought of a person. Their question would not have been where. It would have been who. Who's the king? If God has a kingdom, then he's got to have a king. Who is the Lord? And that's the fourth way Jesus was referenced in the New Testament. He's human, he's God, he's Messiah, and he is Lord. And I think there's more to add to that even, that the fact that we're laying aside the where— where is this kingdom, right? It's not a it's not a physical place. It's a kingship. It's a reign, right? And kingship is probably the better translation of that word. Sure. Um, it's the kingship of God that's near. But the thing that comes along with that, though, is when you have a king, you have a new way of life. You have a rule under that king that he lays down the rule, and you as his subjects are to live under that rule. You have somebody to obey. Yeah, exactly. And so when, when people say things like, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? That statement is asking, does Jesus' rule, does your life reflect a life that is living in obedience to your King Jesus? And the first century Jews would have understood that innately. That was just part of what that meant. Well, they lived under they That's lived right. under Roman rule. Absolutely. They knew what that felt like. Oh, yeah. So now we got Jesus. No, he's our new king. And then here, we're just – that's just kind of foreign. We're free people in Western civilization. We have laws and things, but we don't look at it as like, oh, yes, my president, my lord. You know, like we don't do that. You know, we talk about guys with tans and like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like people people make fun of presidents now, you know. That's like, right. It, that's right. You wouldn't have done that with – with the rulers of that time. The uh, writers in the New Testament, they, they really caught on to this. And it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> the opening of the book of Ephesians, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So there you get God You get Jesus. You get the Messiah. Uh, The Messiah chose Paul, so you get his kingly authority. Um, 
Philippians. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. What doesn't come across in the translation is the fact that in Greek, God appears to be like an overall title. And after God, it's almost like you have a comma. God who is our Father and who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. (laughs) So you get Jesus, uh, Lord, Jesus, uh, the Messiah, Jesus, God. Um, They caught this concept. They... They they quantified it. That's not the right word. They, they they made it a title. They made it a formula. They couldn't say the word Jesus without saying Lord and Christ with it. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Um, it's because this went down deep. Yeah. In what they understood about Jesus. Well, also, you know... There, there are lots of Joshuas, and oh, they yeah. would have been saying Yeshua, you know, Joshua, oh, yeah. and so now it's no, it's this one. <laughs> it's not, not, right, not right. Joshua, your cousin. Like, right, no, right, like, right, right, right. This is this is God. Joshua, um, Jesus was actually a very popular name in the first century. Right. So I can't help but think there had to be part of it was to identify who they're talking about as well. Yeah. 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 But also because his identity, it's not just it's it's this one, not that one. It's both. It's that the identity of Jesus is God, human, Lord, Messiah. Right. <laughs> they couldn't divide those things. That all personified who Jesus was to them. Okay. That's cool. Um. Man, we did it, I think. Is there anything else? Just a little teaser, and maybe we'll come back later some other time when we want to chase a rabbit trail. It was common, relatively common. It was known by almost all and believed by a few that there were multiple messiahs. There were one that came, there was one that came from Judah. And there was one that came from Levi. Okay. Now think about That doesn't it. add up, though. Well, it does when you remember that the last ruler in Israel came from the tribe of Levi, the Maccabees. Okay. They were all priests. And they united Israel, made an army, and Judas Maccabees with his sons, the Hasmonean family— Led Egypt, uh, led Israel to revolt against uh, Greece and the leftovers of Greece uh, at the beginnings of the Roman Empire, and Israel was its own state for a period of time. So that was only about 150 years, 200 years before Jesus, and the Jews were still thinking, okay. There's going to be a Judaic Messiah because the Old Testament clearly says. 
the Messiah is from the tribe of Judah. But there's another one. There's a Levitical Messiah. Jesus just totally ignores that. He takes all of those traditions, throws them out the window, and says, no, what does the Bible say? What does the Old Testament say? He comes from the tribe of Judah. Here I am. Okay. There are other names and titles of Jesus. They all kind of come back to this, especially in the book of Revelation. You get the Lion of Judah. You get the Lamb who was sacrificed. And it all comes back to either the identity of Jesus, who Jesus was, or the function of Jesus, what he did. So I think next week we'll come back and we'll take a look at what Jesus did. I think that's uh, I think that's the plan, right? Okay. And then after that, we will get into the last little bit of the Apostles' Creed, which is the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of the miscellaneous, the catch-all category. Right. It's uh, probably the most least understood. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> Is that fair of the three persons? I have trouble. I have trouble in that department. So, I do too. Um, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Randy, thank you for talking us through some of these awesome, awesome concepts about Jesus. And uh, we hope to uh, see you guys next week. If you like what you hear, give us a comment, give us a like, give us a follow, whatever you're listening on. And uh, make sure if you've got any questions for us to write us at, uh, you can email us at uh, saltysaints at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com. Stay salty. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.